black woman, beautiful, powerful, resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation, a talk, especially an informal one between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So we created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How has your summer been? Oh, child. Like, I thought summer was for rest, right? Y'all know that I relocated to the Atlanta area. I mean, we dropped that bomb at the end of last season. But I think that one, my age is catching up to me because moving from Mississippi after finishing training to Indianapolis was not a big deal. Even though I was selling a house then and buying a house and just got married, piece of cake. Even moving from Indy to Houston with a newborn wasn't that big of a deal. Now, I did locums and travel medicine. We were starting a new business at that time. And my husband was in Indy while I was doing travel medicine. It still hits different this time. This time to move and coordinate a toddler going to a new school, a husband starting a new job, me also getting licensed in another state and trying to figure out how to make money at the same time. It's been exhausting. y'all. Oh my God. Oh, take the wheel Lord. And my husband always said, well, you know, if you never let Jesus let go of the wheel, you wouldn't have to ask him to take it. Right. People say that that's what Christians say. But I'm going to tell them to hold on tight because it's been a lot. My child has gotten sick, started school August 11, end up getting COVID the next week. Now he has pneumonia. It's just been one thing after another. I've seen three different ERs. It's just, it's been a lot. Um, thankfully, he is feeling much better now and acting as his usual self. And he should be going back to school this week. But it's still been a lot. We are staying in this like, three-bedroom home, and most people will be like, oh, a three-bedroom is not really a tiny home. It is when you have your mama living with you, your husband, a toddler who doesn't understand boundaries and has his stuff all up and through here, everywhere. We are ready for some more space up in here. So um, it's been a lot, but you know what? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. People say that, and I hate when people say that, so I'm going to renege on that. But I will say I'm pressing through. I'm moving through, going through the motions, and we are going to get through this even stronger. Janine, what you been up to this summer? Because I have not talked to you Uh, because uh, you've been uh, busy. uh, uh, uh. Go back. No, 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 no. We're not going to just go to what Janine has been doing this summer. We are going to go back. So Harrison started school. His first week of school, he caught COVID? No, really the second week of school, he caught COVID. Okay. But, but yeah. I mean, yeah. it still sucks, but like, how how does he like school though? Like, does he enjoy it? Does he, he loves not school. know? Like, how long, how many weeks has he been in school since COVID? 
Or he hasn't gone back yet. He hasn't gone back yet because he Aww. ended up getting COVID and then he ended up getting fevers and then he got diagnosed with pneumonia. So I'm freaking out thinking, oh, this is COVID pneumonia. But they think, because COVID pneumonia is hard to treat, y'all. Like if you don't know, like community acquired pneumonia versus COVID pneumonia, people that end up with an IC with COVID, it's because they have COVID pneumonia, which is super hard to treat. Um, with pneumonia, community acquired pneumonia, which is what they think he has, because it's like wedge-shaped distribution of the pneumonia in his lung. They're like, this is normal community acquired pneumonia. And I could tell, like we started antibiotics and he didn't fever since the first IV dose of antibiotics. So it's definitely treatable with antibiotics, but it was still sort of kind of scary going into, I'm, oh my God, my kid has pneumonia. He has COVID. Like I've never had pneumonia and he is three with pneumonia. So it's, you know, a little daunting, but he's getting through it. I'm sure you were probably like, what is going on? And you, it probably just added to the stress of all of the things that you have going on. So I'm glad that he's feeling better and I'm glad that he'll be able to go back to school so he can see if he enjoys it. It should be fun. But what is going on with your house? Like you're still staying. You don't, did you sell your house? What's happening? What, what's going on? Girl, let me tell you, I love supporting black people and black businesses. Let me start there. Okay. My realtor here in Atlanta is a black woman. She's been doing it for 25 years. She's amazing. Right. I met her through this realtor's aunt, okay? But I, we had to let go of our realtor, okay? Let me tell you something. As Black people, I think we trust a little bit too much, and I'm guilty of that. And one thing I've learned during this process is do your research on your realtor. Just because the market is up doesn't mean that you are going to put your house in the market and everybody's going to see it and it's going to sell. And we had a realtor that works part-time and has a very demanding full-time job. Your realtor has to be able to answer calls when people call. He has to be able to have a network in that area to call people who are looking in that area. He has to be able to, to have relationships with agents in that area to say, hey, I'm listening to his house. If you have anybody's looking in this price range, holla at me. Um, the realtor we had did, wasn't familiar with the area, didn't have relationships with any agents in the area, you know, had done two open houses, but for comparison, the realtor that we've hired, which honestly is a, a Caucasian person, clear person, is like, nope, we're gonna put we're gonna do open houses every week into this house sales. I don't care if your house takes 12 weeks to sell, we're gonna do 12 open houses. And I'm gonna call everybody that went to any open house in this area that I've had because now they need to know if you still looking, this new house is on the market. And I'm gonna call every agent that's looking in this area to tell them your house in the market. So it's just a different type of grind when you are doing it full-time versus part-time. And I've learned that now. So no, the house is not sold. We have been paying mortgage over there. And for this rental, we're paying more than our mortgage. I mean, we're paying like a mortgage and a half. So mm. that's why it's time for us to just go ahead and start looking for houses because I was trying not to have two mortgages, but Renting something furnished is like having two mortgages. And since the company will not pay for more than one move, you can't move your stuff into a rental house and then pack it up and move it again. Well, who's paying for the second move? Not I, says the cat. So um, as a result, we've been renting something furnished, but that is not cost effective anymore. It's better for us to just go ahead and buy something that we can put equity in. I mean, we're paying some a month to rent 
a furnished place that's half the size, not even half the size. It's probably a fourth of the size of the house we had in Houston. Yeah, that sounds like you live in D.C. And if that's the case, if you're going to have D.C. prices, then you just might as well go ahead and buy a house. You're 100% correct. Like that is astronomical for what you're what you're getting. And granted, it's the going rate. So I'm not saying that, that you're spending yeah. more than you should be. It is definitely the going rate, but it's astronomical. Like I just I just wonder and again, maybe this is something that we maybe we find a realtor to come on and and educate us about this. But I just wonder what is it that happened between the time that our parents were in our position or our age and looking for houses and us. Because I distinctly remember you being able to get, when I was young, of course, you being able to get a very large home in the $300,000 range. Now you're well into the million dollar range for that same size home. It's the craziest thing. Ken and I looked at a it was like a two bedroom, two bath. It was like 1,300 square feet in DC proper. And it was three quarters of a million dollars for a house the size of an apartment. It's ridiculous. Do you feel that way or is it just me? No, it's not just you. And the pandemic has even worsened that, right? Because, I mean, our house in Houston was like, you know, 620 when we bought it three years ago. I mean, now even putting on the market and reducing the price so that we can get multiple offers. We're still, we're still like 150, 180,000 over that. You know what I mean? So it's like, right. You know, it's a, a huge difference in terms of like where houses are being listed and where they're being sold. There's houses I'm looking at in Atlanta that were just finished in 2021. And one guy bought his house for seven fifty. It's listed for 1.2 million right now. It's been a year. Wow. So Janine, um, how's your summer been? Girl, (laughs) I feel like I just need a vacation. Like I literally wrote to myself, you need a vacation from your vacation. And let me be very clear. When we, when you and I took a vacation, I was ramping up. It was very convenient for me because I was ramping up busy season at work, right? Um, you know, the summer months going into the fall, that's when everyone wants to do an event. I mean, think about the events that you go to. Most people don't go to a lot of events unless they're galas in the wintertime. And, you know, summer, fall is when everyone wants to be outside, right? So while, yes, I had a vacation from podcasting, my regular job was booming. Let me tell you, like there were days where... I would see two, three o'clock in the morning and I would be on the road, right? Now, granted, I still love my job and I maintain that this is literally the best job that I've had ever, honestly. I mean, aside from shuffling shoes at DSW, I love that. And that's only because of the discount though. I didn't really like the job. I just liked the perks. <laughs> um, but I I mean, it w- it's been busy, Nicole. Like, I feel like a lot has happened in life. Like, you know, I'm a year older since we talked. My marriage is a year older since we talked. Like there's a lot of like life things that have happened. But at the same time, I feel like they're kind of, I don't want to say they're passing me by, but I feel like everything is just going so fast because it's just constant work. Now, I do love it and I don't want to make it sound like I'm um, 
you know, like working in an environment where I just don't have any time and blah, blah, blah. That's not it. It's that I really enjoy what I'm doing. So I am putting my all into it, but it requires a lot of time. It's, you know, we basically operate at my, my job as a startup. So it takes a lot of time. I mean, you, you hear it said, like you hear someone say, like we operate as a startup, you understand what a startup is and you understand that there's a lot of work behind it because you're creating process and structure and you're building literally from the ground up. But then when you're in it, you're like, wait a second, what's going on? Why is this so much work? But then you kind of look back and I look back at like, you know, where we were even two or three months ago and six months ago and nine months ago when I started and we've made a lot of progress. So I'm proud of us, but I will say it's been a lot of work. It has, it really has. What Janine, I hope that you've had time to one, celebrate these milestones that you let pass by this summer, your, you know, birthday and anniversary and celebrate the things you've accomplished at work. Because I don't think that you've taken time to do any of that. Because I'm telling you, when I tell y'all think, listen, when we started this podcast around this time in 2020, we were talking, we were on the phone, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Right. And now, I mean, you got to make an appointment to talk to Janine. I mean, it's <laughs> like, hey, girl, where are you alive? What's going on? It's quicker for me to text Ken and ask T- Ken if you're alive than to text you. Hold on a second, though. Ken will text me to get on my calendar. And let me, let, this, is, this is funny, but not really funny. Okay, so I'm going to tell you an anecdote. It's not an anecdote. It's, a real, it's really what happened. Um, so one day I was at work and it was late and I had texted Ken and my best friend and said like, Hey, um, you know, I'm no, I hadn't texted Ken. I told my best friend, Hey, let me call you back. I'm busy. I'll call you back when I'm on my way home. Well, in between the, Hey, let me call you back when I'm on my way home and me actually getting into the car to go home. My phone dies one because I had been using it all day. And then number two, there was something that came up that was urgent. So I did not get in the car for a few hours at that point. So I go plug my phone in and you know, when your phone dies, it goes off, like it turns off. And then when you plug it back in, it turns on unless it's super dead. And then it takes a little minute to turn on. So once I go, like I plugged my phone in, did what I had to do, come back to my phone, it's on. And I see, you know, when your phone comes back on, it has just numbers. It doesn't have the name. So I know what these numbers are because they're Ken and my best friend. And I know their numbers by heart. And I'm like, why do I have like 15 missed calls? Like, what is going on? Then it was like still coming in. It was like 20. It's like 15 text messages. I'm like, what in the world is going on? Let me call someone. So I call again, me not thinking anything is wrong because they should be used to me working late at this point. I call Ken. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Like, I saw I had a bunch of missed calls. He was like, yes, I'm on my way to your office. And I'm like, why? And he's like, because Brianna and I can't find you. And I was like, find me? I'm at work. Like, what are you talking about? And basically, my best friend, she knew that I said that I was going to call when I got in the car. Because I hadn't called, she alerted Ken. Ken couldn't get in contact with me. So in their mind, they're like, We're going to send someone. Someone is going to your office to figure out where you are. And if you're not there, we're calling the cops. 
And I was like, hey, chill, y'all. My phone just died. But that's how, I mean, literally, that's a perfect example of, hey, I'm just busy. Nothing wrong. It's just, I have a lot to do. And I feel bad sometimes because I feel like, you know, I should be giving more time to people that I love and care about, right? Like my friends and family. And I do, right? Like I, I do understand the importance of that. But I also realize that where we are right now is not where we will always be. So I figure if I give it this kind of attention and effort now, then we get everything in place, then I can have more time to have fun later on. So work hard now, play hard later. That's how I see it. But the real moral of this story is get yourself some chargers, okay? You need them at your desk. You need them in your car. You need those little portable chargers. If you're working that much, you should never allow your phone to die, ever. Yeah, uh-uh. You, if I told that. you that I have them and they were dead too. That's, that's even it's, worse. It's, it's the craziest thing, Nicole. I, that happened to me when I was in Minnesota. I was like, how do I have two portable chargers here? They are both dead. My phone is dead. And it was like the Lord himself heard me. And I looked across the street and, you know, we were at a festival style thing. Right. And I look across the street and what is it standing in front of me other than a mobile cell phone charging station? And I was like, yes. I mean, it was the best thing ever. But yes, I do need to do better about my battery packs and yeah, my phone. I do. I need to do better about a lot of stuff. Right. And in working on myself, I've also realized like there are some things that in 2023 I'm definitely focusing on, right? So it's very interesting. I went to a funeral a few weeks ago and it was the funeral of a young lady I grew up her a young lady I grew up with, her mother passed away and she was huge in our community. Like she was the sweetest person ever. And one of the things that I took from the funeral was the the eulogist said that we have to be intentional about our time. Like we just waste it, right? Like we're just like, hey, we have time. Like it's just this infinite resource that is never going to run out. Even though we all know at some point our time is going to come, right? Like it's going to be over. It's done, right? We have no more time. There's nothing else that we can do. And he was like, yeah, take the time to spend with your family. Take the time to spend with your friends. Take the time. And I was like, I really took that to heart, right? And I called a bunch of my friends that we grew up with that were there. Um, and I was like, look, we have to do better about this. Like we make these things of, yeah, we're going to meet and have brunch and talk and blah, blah, blah. And we don't because we have lives and kids and families and things. Right. And it sucks. And we haven't done it yet. Right. Like it sucks. Like we are, we, we see our ships passing in the night and we know each other are there and like we check in every now and then, but like, we don't have that genuine time to like connect. And we have made a like a pact that we are going to diligently connect with one another moving forward. And I'm going to make a pact with you that we're going to diligently connect moving forward because I mean, look, we're I mean, we are getting up there in age and I I feel you on the like the things I used to be able to do, the all-nighters, the like going out the night before and being able to wake up at the crack of dawn the next morning and keep it moving like nothing ever happened. That doesn't work. The being able to like fly here and do this and be like, oh, I don't need a break. Like come right off the plane and go right to work. 
that doesn't work anymore. Like I need some more like time. If we've been this busy, I can't imagine how busy our listeners have been. I'm sure. Hopefully they've had a great summer and a a summer that's much more connected than ours has been. So hopefully they've had a great summer and hopefully they've enjoyed themselves and hopefully they're ready to hear us again. I hope you all missed us. You think they missed us, Nicole? Girl, yeah, they missed us. (laughs) Okay. They missed us. (laughs) We missed you too. At this point, we hope that you followed our podcast. Please follow our podcast. If you've not, what are you all waiting on? Like, we get up and do this because we love you all. So please follow our podcast. And don't forget if you like and rate and comment and all of those things, if you interact with us, that helps other people find us, which helps us to give you more. So go ahead and like and rate and leave comments for us. That sound fair, Nicole? Mm-hmm. And share with your friends and your family too. So, yes. All right, Jenny. So what's on our timeline this week? Or I guess this whole summer. Ah, so I got you with this one. So you and I had actually talked about this before we went on our summer break, right? So we actually saw this tweet a while back and it resonated with us. Well, Nicole, I'm not going to speak for you. It resonated with me, right? And this tweet, I think we saw it back like right before we took a break. So the tweet said it was from Twitter user Dej and her handle is at dash X with two S's in dash. Um, And it says black parents love to tell their children to go to college and or get out while having absolutely zero money saved up to help them do so. So, considering what you mentioned earlier, that just two weeks ago, President Biden announced that he was going to give this student loan relief. Now, look, I'm appreciative for the student loan relief for those who can accept it or can take part in it, but it's not what we expected. It's not, but it's okay. Don't even worry. So let me go back. He said that he's going to give us student loan relief. And I feel like we got to chat about this, right? So I already know that we're likely to step on some toes. So forgive us. Before you even go there, we're going to step on some toes. Now, I believe in honoring our parents so that we might have long days. So I honor my mother and my father. So I might have days that are long. However, I also believe in telling the truth and shaming the devil. And we must be clear that we know that if it wasn't our parents, that we know some parents that tell their kids this. So if your feelings are hurt, we're sorry. So I want to break this tweet down a little bit. So I'm going to deconstruct it and explain kind of how I process this, right? Here we go. In my mind, when you think about this, right? When parents, black parents, they tell us, hey, when you turn 18, you got to get out, get a job. Or you got to go to college, right? We live in a society that basically says that once you're 18, you have three options, right? You have an option to get out of high school and get a job. You have an option to go to college or you have an option to enlist. Those are really the only favorable options that our society gives us. Doesn't really give us options for like travel and explore the world and find yourself. Now, people do it, but that's not really what 
what society wants you to do. What they want you to do is kind of stay in these these stalls that they've put us in. So you go to college, you're on the college track, right? You go for a job, you're on the career track. You go enlist, you're on the military track. Those are the tracks that they want us to stay on. So it seems like it makes sense that our parents tell us to follow that track, right? So for the most part, parents taught us that this is the way that you need to go. They believe in it because either one, they've experienced it and it worked for them, or two, they've kind of, you know, seen the experiences and hardships of not going on one of these tracks and they don't want us to follow along the same path that they that they took. So sometimes they didn't follow this path, right? They see the hardship, they tell us, "Hey, we don't want you to go down this road." And they do it because they kind of attribute the hardships that they've experienced to the fact that they didn't take one of these paths. So they teach us the right way and right. Please see my giant air quotes, the right way. And subsequently, most of us are encouraged to go to college. If we decide that we just want to go on the career path, they say, "Okay, well, why don't you get a trade? It's just a lot. And our parents, I think that they believe that they're encouraging us, right? They probably believe when they tell us that you need to go go get out of my house, go get a job or go to college, they kind of think like, hey, I'm encouraging my child to do what they should be doing. I don't know about you, Nicole, but to me, it kind of felt more like an ultimatum. Like, here's what you're going to do, because if you don't do these things, you're we're not going to continue to take care of you. So... Our parents had good intentions, but I would argue that their method of execution probably left a lot to be desired. So let's break this down further. They told us, hey, when you get out, go get a job, go to college, right? So the first thing I wonder is, do they actually even consider the financial implications of what they're demanding of us? Or are they just trying to guide us in the right direction? Now, I believe that they're probably just trying to guide us in the right direction, but I think that they're doing so without considering the very real roadblocks that we're almost certain to face. We can't just get out of high school and go get a job or get out of high school and go to college and just voila. I mean, unless you're special, there's some people. So let me break down really quickly if you get out of high school, go writing to get a job, right? So the average salary of a high school graduate is about $30,000. Depending on where you live, that could be very difficult to live off of. So I'm just going to do the national average, right? So $30,000 after taxes, you're probably bringing home about 24. If you're lucky, if you got something to write off, you great, you're bringing home 24. Might be less, but let's say 24. So that's about $2,000 a month. The average rent in the United States is about little over $1,300 a month. So we'll say 13. That leaves you with $700 a month. If you have a car, you have a car note. If you have a car note, if not, you probably have to pay for repairs. So we're going to just say, let's say that that's another $200 a month or so, right? Then you have to have insurance. Not only do you need car insurance, you also need renter's insurance. That insurance is probably, you know, another... $200 a month. So now you have $300 a month left out of your $2,000 a month. With that $300, you now have to pay gas, utilities, groceries, and any kind of self-care. That means hair, nails, anything else that you may need. All of that has to come out of this $300 a month. 
Now, there are some people who are very great budgeters and they can probably make that work. However, those people are unicorns. Most people, if there's a margin of error, now we're in debt. So let's take the other route. You don't go right to work. You go get a a college education, right? So I'm going, I'm just going to go get my bachelor's. That's what we're going to use as an example. So for four years, you're in school. You're learning whatever it is that you are trying to get a career in. You are learning how to become adult. You're learning how to manage your time because now you're out on your own and figuring it all out. You're studying. You're trying to join organizations. And you are literally just figuring out what it means to live in this world, right? And you really don't have time. Now, some people work, so they have a job. But even if they do work, you're not able to work enough hours and make enough money that you're offsetting the cost of room, board, tuition, and any other expenses for activities for college, right? So you go and yeah, you defer for, you know, to go to work for four years, at least four plus for some, right? And you come out and you make about $70,000. Again, going with national averages. So make about $70,000. But the part that you have to remember is you come out and you're making about $70,000 may or may not be in what you studied, but you've now racked up approximately 30, 40, 50, maybe even more worth of student loans because the money that you were making while you were working, you were doing it, using it for day-to-day living. You still have to pay for this education. Now, the student loans doesn't sound like a lot, right? Then you add on that compounded interest, and now these people going to work or going right to college, we are all in the same boat where we are not financially stable. Now, again, our parents meant well telling us, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. But a little more planning could have helped us, planning on our parents' part, could have helped us to land at the age of 18. 20, 22, whatever age, in a more stable financial position rather than a position of debt before you even really start your career. So let me be very clear. By no means am I saying that our parents owe it to us to pay for our secondary education. That is not the message here. That's not what I'm saying at all. So let me be very clear with that. What I'm saying is, The message here should be that our parents, they did the best with the information that they had, but, you know, their guidance was kind of, kind of off. They had the right intentions, but wrong execution, right? The message here should be to learn from their mistakes, to get the information that our parents didn't have so that we can do the best with our decision-making if we are still in that, that area of our lives with our decision-making for ourselves or for the children that we have, right? And to think that when we have kids, and Nicole, I know that you've done this, but you think of, hey, I'm having kids. What is it that I need to do to make sure that I put my kids in the best possible situation so that they can be on a path to financial stability? We want to set our kids up for success, Nicole. So in my mind, I think that from this, we should take, yeah, our parents probably didn't do what we would have liked them to do, right? But they don't owe it to us. But 
if we do better and we help our children with the knowledge that we now have, then we'll set our kids up for success, like truly set them up for success. What do you think, Nicole? I think it's funny how our generations and younger try to point out the things that they weren't given, right? And, you know, reading the post, I thought to myself, she's right. You know, Black parents do say you got to go to college, but they ain't giving you a way to pay for it. But we have to sit and think, what is the job of a parent? Okay. The job of a parent is to make sure that we are safe, to make sure we are clothed, to make sure we don't go hungry. That is the job, the basic job of the parents to make sure we have the basic necessities. I think that because we are now moving, you know, the, the, the longer, the more the time goes by, the better we get, right? So now we're in a society where college is sort of kind of the norm, right? For black people to go to college. I mean, if that's the norm for people to do. And so now we're looking and we're comparing, hey, these Caucasian counterparts, they're going because their parents are paying for it versus us. We're not going for free, but we have to realize that those Caucasian people have generational wealth that they can hand down to their children. Black people have not been in a situation long enough to have built that generational wealth. So we have to give our parents a little bit of a break. You know, the fact that parents are even encouraging us now to go to college is also very new. I mean, you look back in the 90s, you need to get a job, you know, Um, and you could get a job and make a, a substantial amount of earnings to support yourself. Now, you almost have to have a college degree to make the same thing you were making back in the 90s. So our parents just don't have the the savings. They don't have the wealth to be able to pour into us like they want to. And even if they have a little bit of money, a lot of us don't have the knowledge to invest our money the way we want because nobody has taught them that. So we're just now in the in the age of social media and everything being at your fingertips so that you can learn how to do that on your own. And so instead of crying, woe is me, pull yourself up and do what you have to do. If you know you have a goal, don't let your parents not being able to afford to send you $40,000 a year be a hindrance for you. You need to set your own goals and move forward. And if you think hey, I need to make sure this doesn't happen to my kids, then get your kids prepared. So for me, my mama didn't give me anything for college. She couldn't afford to. She was not college educated. And like I said, back in the day, you didn't have to. That wasn't really the norm that everybody went to college. We're from a small town in Louisiana and it's cheap to live there. She wanted more for us. So she, yes, she did encourage us to go to college. Me and my sister knew My mama can't afford to put us through college. So what do we do? We applied for every scholarship we could get our hands on. And we got a lot of those scholarships. And then when we couldn't fund what we need to fund, like medical school, we took out loans. And yes, I hark over the fact that I had this student loan debt. And whenever the student loan uh, forgiveness came out, 
last week, you know, at first I felt a little kind of salty, right? I'm like, as a healthcare professional, not only have I not gotten any stimulus packages because I made too much money, but I've tried, I've had to sacrifice my life taking care of people with COVID and the essential people also got rewarded on top of the stimulus packages, but I have not qualified for any of that. People are like, oh, you getting paid hazard pay? No, doctors have died in the middle of the pandemic and haven't got a cent, okay? But then I have to check myself and I have to realize I'm still in a better financial situation than most people. So we have to put everything in perspective. And so for all the people that are saying, I, that's not good enough. And I can't believe that he capped it at 125,000. Do I wish all my student loans forgiven? Oh, yes. But at the same time, I'm happy for the people who got forgiveness, who may not be able to afford to pay down their loans in 10 years or even 20 years, or those loan payments or the difference between them getting a house and being able to provide for their family and build some generational wealth versus paying those student loans. So um, everything has to be put into perspective. And I think with the person that wrote this post, and forgive me, I don't remember what her um, what her handle was, but put it in perspective. Yes, your parents are encouraging you to do better. You could have some parents not encouraging you to do better. There are still parents that are saying, you need to get a job. You don't need to finish high school. So let's put that into perspective and be thankful that we have parents that are encouraging us to do it. But that may mean that you need to be creative with your own resources or build your own resources to make it happen. Did nobody tell you you had to go to a super expensive four-year college? You can go to community college for two years, pay for that out of pocket or very little debt, and then move on to a four-year college. I mean, there are ways... To financially make these things happen, but we have to be creative and we can't wait for people to hand it to us and then cry, oh my God, what was me? The reason I haven't accomplished what I need to accomplish because my mom and daddy didn't do it. That is a bunch of crap and it is an excuse that you're using. And yes, I said it. And even though I'm in the same exact shoes as you, I can say it. You're using that as an excuse. Be happy that you had parents that loved you and supported you and weren't beating you and molesting you and making you drop out of school and move on about your life. That's all I have to say about that. I agree with you 100%. And I would like to say this. Education is a privilege. Let us be very clear, right? And I think that it's a privilege that we take for granted in the U.S. And granted, I'm not saying that we have the best education system. As a matter of fact, I know that we don't have the best education system, right? But I also know that the value that we put on education compared to the access that we have to education is very different. It is vastly different. We value education as one of the top priorities in this country as a whole, but we do not put the money, dollars, or effort behind education that we should based on how much we value it. Won't go there. It's a much larger conversation, but it is an education. I mean, it is a a privilege. Now, do I think it should be a privilege? No, I think that knowledge should be free to anyone who seeks it. You should be able to get the knowledge that you want if you make the effort to seek it out, right? But let's be clear. There are places where people can't, don't have access to education. They don't have access to the tools to seek the knowledge that they're looking to find, right? There are places where you and I, Nicole, would not be able to be educated, One, because we're black or two, because we're women. 
So let's be very clear that it's a privilege. Now, I've gotten off my soapbox about that. I want us to understand that with that privilege, sometimes it takes a little bit more effort for us to actually attain the the information that we're looking for or the knowledge that we're looking for, right? Sometimes our parents aren't going to be able to afford it. Sometimes our parents are not in a position to, to, I mean, look, the pandemic should have taught us that our parents could have been making six figures regularly. The pandemic hits and maybe that money isn't there anymore. Things happen, life happens, and no one owes you a thing. Now, is it great if they give it to you? Yes, but does anyone owe you? No. There are loans, as you mentioned, Nicole. There are grants. There are scholarships. There are work stuff. I mean, there are so many things that have been put into place that will allow you to get your education, regardless of your socioeconomic status, that it's not fair to put the sole blame on our Black parents. It's just not fair. Now, granted, do I think that it could be an additional challenge? Yes, by all means. I'm very well aware of that. Am I, am I living with my head in the clouds thinking that education is affordable? You know, higher education is affordable? No, I'm not. I'm aware of it. But we can't put the sole blame on our parents. Now, I will be clear. I distinctly remember my parents telling me that they would help me as long as essentially I was helping myself, right? And they were very clear that they wanted me to go to college. They would let me live under their roof. They would, as long as I was furthering my education and or improving upon myself, they would help me. And they did, right? They helped me through college. Now, did I have to take out student loans? Yes, I did. But did my parents take out some loans as well? Yes, they did because they wanted to do everything that they could to help me be in a situation where I could succeed. Now, did they have to do it? Absolutely not. But I remember my parents saying they'll help me as long as I helped myself. They also gave me options of the military and going directly into the workforce, but they were very clear, I mean, painfully clear, that those were not the favorable options. Those were like plan D, E, and F, right? So I was very set on going to college, and I did. I went to college, I got my education, and I came out, like the rest of everyone, with a ton of student loans that almost into my 40s, I'm still paying off. So- Am I blaming my parents? No. Should I or should anyone blame their parents? No. Your education does not hinge upon whether your parents pay for it or not. Do I think that, you know, parents saving for their children's education is important? Yes. If they can do it, if you can do it for your children, do it. But again, let's be mindful, like Nicole said. The information and the knowledge that our parents had, they did the best with that information that they could. And I'm going to say here what I was going to say a little bit earlier. I think of saving for your kids' um, education as like saving for retirement, right? When you have a child, you think, okay, my child is going to go to college, right? And if you start saving based on what, you know, the tuition is when you have a child, in theory, you should have enough money once they go to college, right? But in reality, it's not likely that you would have saved up enough money for them to actually attend college. But what it does do is it helps so that whatever the difference is, it's feasible for your child to take that on on their own. 
Now, if you can't do that, no shame. But if you can, you really should. And that's for us and our kids, right? Like if you, if this is a possibility for you, then yes, do that. But there's no shame if you can't. Do the best that you can as our parents did for us. Stop blaming your parents for everything. I mean, really, you all, really, we were, we were all, if you are a millennial and you are a millennial or younger, I don't want to hear us blame our parents for another thing because guess what? We got here with cell phones in our hands and FaceTime and social media and all of this. And we're out here comparing. It's, it's, it's not our parents' fault. Some of this is on us. Some of this is on us. And getting your education. Our parents did it. They did it without help. They did it with, with some, some parents that barely had a, a high school education. Some parents did it without, with parents that barely knew how to read. They made it work. I just want us to have a little bit more tenacity. That's all I'm saying. I agree, Janine. And uh, some of these listeners that's writing these letters, we're going to help y'all today. We're going to help y'all today. You ready to talk through some of these letters we have? Let's do it. Okay. So our first letter reads, Nicole and Janine, my father asked me to borrow money to help the family with some unexpected expenses specifically with the purchase of my grandmother's home that is in foreclosure. My grandmother is a retired seamstress who really didn't take care of bills. With my grandfather passing away a few years ago, I guess she didn't know how to properly manage the household. I make pretty good money as a college professor and I'm not married and have no kids. So I guess I was asked because people assumed I could afford it. My dad came to me and said, we, in air quotes, we, were obligated to help family. I looked him in the face and said, I couldn't help out. He started telling me everything the family has done for me, but I told him no one saved or put away money towards my education or my future. Why should I have to budget or sacrifice for theirs? I'm a 33-year-old woman paying my own loans and my mortgage by myself. I got it out the mud. I'm not tapping out my savings to save a house that I'm not in line to inherit. Am I wrong? What would you ladies do? Sign Tamia. Okay. So I'm going to say this. Tamia, I feel you. I feel you 100%. I don't know how many other people, members of your family there are. Um, your, your father has a good point. You should help family, right? But at what expense? Now, tapping out your savings to save a house that, yeah, I don't, maybe I just don't like the way that, that it was worded, right? Like it, you ca- it kind of sounds like you only would help family if it somehow will benefit you in the long run. And I don't like that. And it's, I'm not criticizing you by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I don't want it to sound like the only time that you would help is if you were going to inherit this house, right? You're not obligated to help. Absolutely not. But if you could help, it would be nice. But at the expense of tapping out your savings, I don't, I wouldn't suggest it. Like maybe you tell them what you can do, what you're willing to help with, if you are willing to help, but you shouldn't feel obligated to do so, right? Like now, do we want to have, you know, granny's house get foreclosed on? No, by no stretch of the imagination. But this goes back to an episode that we had I don't remember. I think it was season one 
right? Might've been season two about the black tax. And this is what happens to us, right? Like someone becomes successful. Someone says, oh, they don't have as many bills. They start counting your dollars. And now all of a sudden you become the charitable fund for your family. I don't think that that's fair. As a matter of fact, I know it's not fair. Now, should you help the help your family if you can? Sure. But at your detriment, I wouldn't say so. Tell them what you can do. If you're willing to help, tell them what you're willing to help with and make sure that you make create very real boundaries with your money. We're very cognizant about creating boundaries with our time and our energy and you know so that we can saw and become one with the earth, right? No. Set some boundaries with your finances as well. This is what I'm willing to give. This is how much I'm willing to help. And I'm not willing to do anything past that. You all can figure this out. And, you know, maybe you enlist some more members of your family. Or, I don't know, maybe, do we really need to save the house? I don't know. I'm not going to say not save the house, but I'm just going to say, don't save granny's house and put yourself in a situation where you could lose yours. What do you think, Nicole? I feel like this could be somebody in my family, except for nobody's ever asked me to save a house that I wouldn't be in line to inherit. First of all, I would want to have a real conversation. Like this is granny's house. When granny passes away, what happens to the house? Because at the end of the day, that house is going to be handed down to somebody that's going to have to keep up the property. We don't want this happening again. So I would be like, dad, do you inherit this house or do brothers and sisters, other brothers and sisters, or which will be uncles and aunts of hers, inherit the house? Who is inheriting the house if something happens to granny? Am I in direct line of secession? And if it goes to the aunts and uncles, they would equally inherit the house. Then my next conversation would be, hey, this is y'all's house. So let's figure out how y'all can pay for this. And if that means that I am loaning the money to pay for granny's house, I need something in writing that says that each of you guys are going to pay me back by X, Y, and Z date, um, this money, or I inherit the house. Okay. If something happens to granny, let's be smart about this. I mean, and that's not a bad thing to do. You know, people are like, Oh, I can't believe you wouldn't give your money away. No, it's given. So let me ask you this. If you lost your job today, would your family scrape up money to help you pay your mortgage? till you got another job or would they say, Oh, you've worked it out. We pray for you. For me and my family, if I lost my job today or didn't have a you know a part-time job, which is what I'm working now, there's nobody I can reach to reach out to and say, can you help me float my mortgage and this month lease I have? So can you float me? Nobody would even try to float me, okay? Because they know it's a big bill and they can't afford it. They will pray for you. You'll figure it out. That's what my family tells me whenever I'm stressed. Oh, you'll figure it out. Pray about it. You'll figure it out. It always works out. Okay. Well, if that's the case, then you can't not let this also be a financial decision. If they went to the bank for a loan to help pay uh, the foreclosure, they would have to pay them back. So if it's not going to be yours, I would have something in writing and notarized that says, Hey, it's going to cost, I don't know, $20,000 to pay off granny's house. I'll pay it off, but they have to agree to pay me back this amount by this date, which means that each one of them are going to pay me, I don't know, $200 a month or $300, whatever it is a month, starting at this time. So you have a little grace period. 
And if it's not paid off, then I will inherit the house because you paid for it. That's only fair. And so I would have that conversation if they had a problem with that. Well, beggars can't be choosy. Go get another loan and you can pay them off. Okay. And then if you decide not to pay on that, then they own the house. Same thing. They are going to own the house if they default on them. You own the house if they default on you. That's a business decision now that you've made. And that puts you in a, at, at, at being the beneficiary of that. Okay. So that's how I would handle this. Okay. So I had a family member that recently asked me to borrow $4,000 for him to put towards his business. Right. I said, okay. You know, I see him hustling. I see him making, making things work. I said, okay, I need to be paid by this date every month. And if you don't pay me by this date every month, I will sue you. Let me be clear. I will sue you for that amount plus an additional amount for inconvenience. So as long as you understand that, then I can be helpful to you. Now, I'm not harsh like a bank. Hey, if something happens and you need a little more time, as long as you're communicating with me, we can work that out because you're family. But people do things when they borrow money, like forget they borrow money from you. And when they're borrowing a big chunk of money, you can't forget that. Don't avoid me. Don't not answer my calls when I call. You've got to answer and you've got to communicate or else I'm not going to look at you as family. This is now a legal transaction and I'm going to take you to small claims court and I'm going to get my money back. So I would put it in writing. You can be helpful to your family if you can afford it. Say what you can afford. I wouldn't tap out my savings. Make still make sure you got six months worth of, you know, expenses in your savings account. Okay. I wouldn't go pull out my 401k and get penalized 17%, but I would let them know this is what I can do without getting penalized. And I will put some boundaries and restrictions on that. And I'll put it in writing. And that's only fair because you're going to be more lenient than a bank. Nicole, you brought up a really good point. Now that I think about this, there's there should not be a portion of the and that's maybe that's why it didn't sit right with me. The portion that said, I'm I don't want to pay for a house that I'm not in line to inherit. If you're paying for the house, the house belongs to you and granny's renting it. That's how that's going to go. Right. So that's probably why it didn't sit well with me. I was like, ah, I don't know if it, it doesn't sit well with me because it's like, no, that's why it doesn't sit well with me. If I'm paying for the house out of foreclosure, if some if a third party were to come in and buy the house out of foreclosure, there's no inheritance to be mentioned. Right. It's the third party now owns the home. So you now own the home and you're allowing granny to live in it. That's how that works right? Just like if you pay the back taxes on someone's home. This is how old people lose their homes, right? And not to say that 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 makes it right, but I'm just saying if you're going to pay on this, then that home belongs to you now, not to granny anymore. You're just going to allow granny to live there and then you get to make the calls about the house. But that's probably why. I just wanted to make that point because I think that that's why it didn't sit well with me. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to make decisions and choice. You can't let people borrow money without making sure you're protected in the event that something falls through. All right, Janine. So um, what's your letter from our listener? Okay, so this one, I'm actually kind of excited because it's from a younger person. So it says, Nicole and Janine, I'm about to be in my sophomore year at LSU. 
I've been listening to you all since high school when my mom would talk back to you in the car. You gotta love her. She's the cutest. Speaking of my mother, my parents are wild. I have a ton of examples, but I wanted to share this story with you as I think you might get a good chuckle out of my misfortune. So, I'm the youngest of six girls. I'm the surprise baby, so I'm 12 plus years younger than all of my sisters. I came from very humble beginnings, but my parents told us almost daily that their girls were going to go to college. Well, we all did. All of my sisters, however, went to college when my father worked as a groundskeeper at a small college in our hometown. So they all had their educational expenses covered. Just my luck, right before my senior year of high school, my father retired and got a part-time job. That meant that I could no longer go to school for free. My parents did everything that they could to try to scrape up some money to help me, but that didn't even last through first semester. So I applied for a loan. When I applied for the loan, I found out that I was going to have a ridiculous interest rate because my parents had defaulted on a loan that they had used my social security number for when I was younger. I brought this up to them and my parents told me that, quote, that's what people did back then and reminded me that I was the surprise baby. I know my parents aren't bad people and they didn't mean any harm. They were just trying to do what they could to make ends meet. It sucks because I now have bad credit and have since before I could probably even spell credit. I know that my parents are not in a position to help me pay for college. And since they really didn't mean any harm, I know that they're already beating themselves up about it. I try really hard not to dwell on it, but I do want them to understand what they did and how it affects me. It's really just about principle. How can I get my parents to understand the impact that their decisions made on me? Signed, Shayna. All right, Shayna, your parents already know the impact. I mean, they're probably kicking themselves because, I mean, I would be working part time to get four more years in before I retire. So they know now because they thought that they probably had saved enough money for you and it didn't last but the year. So one, they already know. Okay. two, dispute that on your credit. Get it off. You can always apply for a dispute on your credit. You were underage at the time of that, um, that that was put on your credit. So it's not going to be no harm, no foul to your family. They're not going to get arrested or investigated. It's probably time for it to come off anyway. That company may not even be around anymore. Get it off your credit. It's been probably been more than seven years going to fall off anyway, but you can dispute it to get it removed completely. Okay. And that way your credit score can go up. Now that you're in college, it's time for you to start building credit. Believe it or not, just being black made you have low credit, okay? Just being black made you have low credit. And depending on the zip code you were born in, made you have even lower credit. So don't think you just have low credit because your parents put something in the neck. No, honey, you just got to have low credit because you're black. So we have to work at our credit, okay? I had to work to get the credit score that I have. Now, I stalk my credit score every day, Okay. And you're going to have to be very intentional with the decisions you make. 
Now, what you don't need to do is if you take out student loans, that's fine. Take out the student loans that you need. Don't take out more loans than you than you need to live off of. People, oh, I need to go out every week. I need to get my hair and my nails done. Listen, you're going to either invest in the natural or you're going to invest in a good wig, but we are not getting sew-ins once a month. You're not getting your nails done once a month. File those suckers and keep on moving. Make sure you are neat and well-groomed and keep moving. I think that uh, we as Black people, and now that we are in the age of TikTok and social media and all these things, makes us think that we have to live this over-the-top, lavish life. These standards of beauty are just unattainable. So just realize that you're beautiful the way you are, clean and neat and groomed. Those are the things that make us look well-kept, okay? Not all of these lashes and weaves and all those things. I'm not saying there's not a place for those things. When you get married, you're going to do it up. When you have something fancy to go to, do it up. But that's not what you need to do day to day. And I see a lot of people that I mentor do unnecessary things. Only get the things that you need to get. Next, people will think you need a credit card. Oh, I have to put this on a credit card. Don't put nothing for your education on a credit card. Borrow books from the library, share books with your friends. Do not put it on a credit card. Charge what you have in your account. Okay, meaning if you have it in the bank, you can charge it on a card. Wait to the end of the month, pay it off before the seventh of the month. Okay, that's how you're going to build credit every month. Okay, make sure you're intentional about charging it. Pay it off. You need to pay it off as you go to build credit. And you'll see once you dispute that charge and you start to build your own credit, you will be doing much better. Not only should you not put things on a credit card, Nicole, I would also like to tell people if you can avoid taking out private loans, that is, please do. Only take out federal loans if you can. Not just because they can be forgiven now with President Biden's plan, but Federal loans have a lot more restrictions, whereas private loans, the it is it can be a nightmare with the interest rates once you get out of school. So please, please, please be mindful of the type of loan that you are taking out. Let me tell you, the one loan that I've paid off, the one student loan that I've paid off was my private loan because I was tired of them. I was over it. So they had to get paid off first. But again, if you can take out federal loans and not private loans. So I would say, let's not blame uh, the parents. You all got to be in college. That in itself is amazing. And those older sisters that 12 years old, text them for some money. Hey, sis, I need some money. I need a thousand dollars. I need, ask them, okay? Your parents don't got it. Hey, call up the Calvary. Hey, listen, you gotta be smart about that thing. Okay, you can't ask just one of them for a whole bunch of money. You got five sisters, okay? Let's say you need $5,000. Hey, can y'all give me $1,000 each this semester? Y'all went to school for free. I'm not. Give me $1,000, okay? And then also contact the school. The school often has some scholarships. Sometimes they're not publicized scholarships that will help you at least pay for books or things, right? I don't know what field you're going into, but there are scholarships for people who are rising in certain fields like engineering and medicine and things like that. So Do a little bit more research before you start taking out these loans with this high interest rate. Do a little bit more research and see some alternate ways that you might be able to pay for your education without it costing you or your family. So, you know, just do a little bit more research. And then also to Nicole's point, go get that thing taken off your credit. Your parents did that long ago. That's not you. 
They're not going to get in trouble. Just dispute it on your credit. Let me tell you something. As much as we uphold this credit system that we have, it's a scam. Okay. The credit system is a scam, but you got to learn how to work the system. And then you can not worry about it. But what I don't want you to do is keep hashing this out to your parents. They understand the impact that it had on you. I promise you that the impact on them is much greater. They probably already feel the guilt of what you're having to go through. You don't have to beat them up about it. They know. They know. Let's just start fresh and move on and and set ourselves up for financial freedom. I think I think that you're in a good space. You'll be fine. Don't worry. You'll be fine. But don't beat our parents up because they did the best that they could. All right, Janine. So what did you learn new this week? So so I got all of this information from educationdata.org. So it's a nonprofit organization that essentially, I don't know if it's nonprofit, it's a research organization, I should say, that gives you the the statistics and analytics about the analytics about um, education and finances and generations and all of that that good information. So I learned that Gen X have the highest average balance of student loans at approximately $45,000 per borrower. So Gen X is carrying the bulk of the student loan money, right? But millennials, that's you and I, Nicole, millennial students, we have the highest quantity of student loans, not the highest value, but the highest quantity. So approximately 14.8 million millennial students have loans. But the balance that we carry is only approximately 38000 $877. So while we have more loans out, our balance is a lot lower. And this is specifically for federal loans. What did you learn new this week, Nicole? That was great advice uh, that you talked about in terms of uh, loans. I think that going into 2023, I'm going to pay off all my student loans. I have learned that new about myself, but that's not what I've learned something new, but I'm going to take money I make from the sale of the house and just pay the student loans off. Um, I have come to grips with that. I think that as black people, we try to save, right? We like really want to bulk up our savings. But here, meanwhile, this debt has way more interest rate, you know, more interest that's accruing versus what's accruing in your savings account. Even a high interest rate savings account is only going to make you 2%. Even the stock market, sometimes it's not going to get you the interest that's going to um, accumulate on these student loans. And let's not talk about capitalizing the debt. Okay. <laughs> that capitalized interest is is really something else. But anyway, um, what I really learned something new uh, was from uh, wiseradvisor.com. And it talks about mediums to save for college. And I thought that this was very helpful. Um, There are four ways. So you can do a 529 college plan, which is what I have for Harrison. You basically allocate a certain amount. That is just like a retirement account, right? That is invested in very, it's either low risk or medium risk um, portfolios in order for you to gain more interest or make more money off your investment. You can also do a prepaid 
tuition 529B, uh, 529 plan, meaning, hey, I want my kids to go to this group of colleges in these states and their average tuition is this. And based on when they go to college, the tuition should be this because it tuition increased by 5% a year. And therefore, to get to that goal, I'm going to put this amount in per month. OK, you can do that. Um, you could also do a Coverdell education savings account or you can do a Roth IRA. Now, some people say all these college specific savings account. If your kid doesn't go to college, you penalize it. That's true. You're penalized when you take it out. Now, what if your kid or what if your kid gets a full scholarship? Right. Well, you can also use the money that's put into these college-specific savings accounts into room and board. And even if your kid gets a full ride, you can deduct the amount that room and board would cost each year and you can put it to something else. So for me, my idea is, hey, if, if we're blessed so that Harrison gets a full ride to college, we're going to pull out the amount that would cost some room and board. And we're going to put that into some property and invest it so that he can live there and we can start to buy that property. Okay. Everybody has different ideas with that. And that way we won't get penalized for that amount taken out over the four years. Also, you can also use that money to graduate school. Okay. Just because they got a full full ride to undergrad don't mean they got a full ride to graduate school. I mean, I had barely any debt from Xavier. All my debt is from Tulane School of Medicine, where everybody's at the top 1% of their classes. And so there's not as many scholarships given out at that level. So you can always save it for your kids. Um, graduate school. And if let's say your kid has a full ride to both places or your kid decides not to go to college and you don't want to be penalized for taking it out, you can always leave that money for your children's children. It You can transfer the name. So if they don't use it all or they're not using it all in order not to be penalized, you can always move that to somebody else's, somebody else in the family, another child, or even that child's child, so a grandchild, um, you can move that uh, that 529B in their name. If you decide your children don't want to go to college, what if they don't want to have kids? Can you use that to go to college? Like if you want to go back to school and learn something else, could you transfer that over to yourself? Yeah, you can You can use it for education expenses. Um, you just can't take it out and not use it for education. So for me, I know I'm not going to school another day in my life, right? <laughs> if, if Harrison doesn't go to college, I would probably invest that into, uh, you know, if he doesn't go to college at all and I can't take it off for education, I would probably move it towards a grandchild's, um, in a grandchild's name. Or if I wanted to invest in myself, I would just take the penalty. You know, you just pay taxes on it, take the penalty, and then you can move the money to something else. But it was meant for education. So for me, I would probably move it to uh, a grandchild. But if he doesn't want to, I'm not going to just leave it there for nobody. I'm going to take the penalty and use it somewhere else. Makes sense. That's good to know. All right. So are you ready for the motivational moment? I am. Oh, I'm going to church on y'all. It's from Proverbs 13 and 22. And it says, a good man leaveth an inheritance to their children's children. Now I know what you're thinking. No, you're not a bad person if you haven't planned for your family yet, but it's never too late to take steps to plan, get some life insurance, start an investment account, or simply write out items of value that you own. Any amount is more than nothing. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye! Bye. 
Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is produced by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson-Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Get the Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversation podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or where you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate us. You can follow Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations on IG at Oh, That's Deep, BWC. Oh, That's Deep, Black Women Conversations is a Mean Old Lion Media production.